Well, today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 12, and we're going to go through Joshua chapter 14. There's a lot of um, reiteration in here uh, that we're going to go through, so some of it is going to be just read, and there's not going to be much, much exposition on it. But we saw the last time we gathered for Joshua, the completion of the major conquests of Canaan by the children of Israel, ending with the northern conquest. And tonight we're going to see, again, a lot of um, reiteration, a lot of names, um, maybe, for lack of a better term, a drier or a less exciting portion of Joshua. But I remember a guy that I led to the Lord uh, years ago when we had the Sunday night study, and he said to me, I remember one time I said, so what did you think? You know, it was a little tougher portion of Scripture. Now, this is a guy that I led to the Lord, and I really ended up discipling, and he said to me, he goes, Joe, the Word of God is not always going to be entertaining. <laughs> I mean, I almost fell over. I'm like, boy, I'm teaching this guy something good. <laughs> I mean, his attitude was, so what? You know, it's a more difficult portion of Scripture. It's the Word of God, though, and it needs to be, you know, spoken of. So that's maybe what we're going to be in tonight. So we're going to start with chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. These are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated, and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon and all the eastern Jordan plain, Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled half of Gilead, from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, from the middle of that river even as far as the river Jabbok, which is the border of the Ammonites, and the eastern Jordan plain from the Sea of Chenaroth as far as the Sea of, of the Areba, the Salt Sea, the road to Beth-Jeshemoth and southward below the slopes of Pisgah, Og, king of Bashan, in his territory, who was on the remnant of the remnant of the giants, who dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Edri, and reigned over Mount Hermon, over Salca, over all Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Makathatites. I should have done a little bit of um, practicing before I came here with these words. And over half of Gilead, as far as the border of Sihon, king of Heshbon. These Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel had conquered, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, have given it as a possession to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh. So, we see a list here of the kings that Moses conquered. He says, on the other side of the Jordan, speaking of already being in the promised land, in other words, the east side prior to crossing over. And if you look at your maps I'm not going to go over every one of these cities and every one of these rivers. Most of you who have a study Bible in the back of your Bibles have more of a, a map and has the rivers, Mount Hermon, some of the different areas. Uh, we got a, a handout. But if you look all the way down on the one that we handed out on the left side, it says Kadesh Barnea, which was the first time that they were supposed to go in and the ten spies came back with a bad report. It was their failure. And when they come in the second time, if you follow Kadesh Barnea and go eastward and then northward, you go up above the Dead Sea and then you see the crossing um, of the Jordan River, Gilgal, Jericho, okay? So, so now you understand the route, if you don't remember, that Moses took and then Joshua took the mantle and he crossed over into the Promised Land. So this was all covered prior to us getting into the book of Joshua. 
In verse 6, he mentions Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. This is, these three are always going to be lumped together with a specific event. This is covered in Numbers 32. This was the guys who had cattle. They liked the cattle-grazing country. They didn't really want to go into the Promised Land, and, but they said, we'll give you some troops. You know, we'll give you some troops. We'll settle on the east side and build cities for our families. Okay? Verse 7. And these are the kings of the country which Joshua and the children of Israel conquered on this side of the Jordan. On the west, from Baal, Gad, and the valley of Lebanon, as far as Mount Halak, and the ascent to Seir, which Joshua gave to the tribes of Israel as a possession according to their divisions, in the mountain country, in the lowlands, in the Jordan plain, in the slopes, in the wilderness, and in the south. The Hizites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The king of Jericho, one. The king of Ai, which is beside Bethel, one. The king of Jerusalem, one. The king of Hebron, one. The king of Jarmuth, one. The king of Lachish, one. The king of Eglon, one. The king of Gezer, one. The king of Debir, one. The king of Geder, one. The king of Hormah, one. The king of Arad, one. The king of Libna, one. The king of Adullam, one. The king of Makeda, one. The king of Bethel, one. The king of Tapua, one. The king of Hefer, one. The king of Aphek, one. The king of Lasharon, one. The king of Madon, one. The king of Hazor, one. The king of Shimron, Meron, one. The king of Ashshaf, one. The king of Taanach, one. The king of Megiddo, one. The king of Kadesh, one. The king of Jachneam and Carmel, one. The king of Dor in the heights of Dor, one. The king of the people of Gilgal, one. The king of Tizra, one. All the kings, 31. So you see a, a chronicling of these uh, areas, these, these kings. And what you see here is here's the list of the kings conquered by Joshua on this side of the Jordan. If you were in the Promised Land, the west side, subsequent to crossing into the Promised Land. And this is just a recap. This is what we've covered in the book of Joshua. All right? So for the sake of doing verse by verse and getting through the whole Bible, I will read even the, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, legalistic or whatever, but I will read everything in there and, you know, you get the picture. A lot of this stuff will be uh, familiar to you. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now Joshua, Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years. God doesn't mince words, huh, when he deals with us? <laughs> And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites. From Sihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron northward, which is counted as Canaanite. The five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites and the Ekronites, also the Avites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belonged to the Sidonians as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gebelites and all Lebanon toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad below Her Mount Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon as far as the brook Misraphath and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out before the children of Israel, only divided by lot to Israel as an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So nine and a half, you take away, um, you know, the Reubenites, the Gadites, half of Manasseh. You got 
two and a half, and then the nine, ten, eleven, it comes to twelve. Okay? The math always works out. But, um, so what do we have here? Well, the majority of the problem is taken care of. You saw Ai, you saw Jericho, you saw all the cities fall, you know, the northern kingdom, the, the central kingdom, right? So these walled cities have been raised, they've been taken down. Now you need, what they need to do is take attention to detail to completely finish the job. Now I believe, or it is believed, that Joshua was close to about a, about 100 years at this time. And God tells him, you are old, advanced in years. <laughs> but there remains much land to be possessed. So two things that are said. One, there remains much land to be possessed. And two, I will drive out the inhabitants before the children of Israel. I think what you see here is the cooperation between God's sovereignty, and you see it all throughout Scripture. God's sovereignty, you know, he's sovereign. He's, it's his will that's put forth. He controls the universe. But also man's responsibility. God doesn't reward laziness. And we're going to see the problem that develops because the children of Israel become weary from war. And a problem develops. They let these, these splinters, these little factions, continue to, to bring in their false idols and draw the children of Israel away from God. And it becomes a problem later on. Because they don't completely fill God's mandate, which is their share of the bargain. God says, I've got my duties that I'm going to do, and this is what I want you to do. And there's going to be some things that he just says to us, go do it. And he's going to expect us to be obedient. What's interesting is if you're taking notes, 1 Chronicles 5, 25 through 26. 1 Chronicles 5, 25 through 26. Assyria came uh, under the leadership of tiglath Pelezer. And he takes them captive. Uh, he takes the, uh, the, the three, the two and a half tribes on the eastern side captive uh, because they're, you know, they don't, they don't go in. They don't realize that, that promised land. The Jordan River serves as a natural boundary to the, to the enemies. But because of these two and a half tribes, they uh, get pulled in by the false worship and then they get taken by a foreign country. So they're the first ones to be, to be chopped down, so to speak. But I could also see that, um, you know, in my own life, and I think all of us can see a picture of big pictures when we look at the Old Testament. Um, you know, maybe some laziness, some spiritual laziness, or a promise that, uh, or something that God has asked us to do, and we just kind of don't do it. And, and these things, un not unlike these two and a half tribes, and then completely children of Israel, we, we suffer the consequences of it. Verse 8. It says, with the other half-tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them, from Aroer, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and all the plain of Mediba as far as Dibon. All the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon. Gilead and the border of the Geshurites, and the Makath, that's the one I'm having trouble with, Makathatites, Makathatites, all Mount Hermon and all Bashan as far as Salka, and all the kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth and Edrei, who remained in the remnant of the giants. For Moses had defeated and cast out these. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Mekathites, but the Geshurites and the Mekathites dwell among the Israelites until this day. So at the time this book was written, they were still there. They, they hadn't been driven out yet. 
One, one other thing that I want to say in addition to when I talked about the maps, um, and it took me a while to figure this out, maybe a lot of you are a lot swifter than I am, which, which is very probable. But if you look at your maps in the back, if you have one of the study Bibles, there's a few pages before it, and in alphabetical order it says basically an index to the maps. Most of the study Bibles have this. So um, maybe if you want to meditate on some of those names at another time or look at the locations so you can get an idea where the borders are. Also, the study Bibles usually have, as you go through the maps, they'll have the different tribes of Israel and where they settle geographically on those maps. So it's something you may want to do just to get yourself familiarized with some of these people groups, some of these names. As we go through the Old Testament, these, a lot of these names are going to come up again. So it's good to get an idea of, of what you're looking at. But verse 13, I want to focus on. It says, nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive them out. This was a command to drive them out, starting with Moses. And really, if you go back before, it started with Abraham. Because he told Abraham, I'm going to give your descendants this land, this, this land of Canaan. And, uh, you know, even before Moses, uh, Abraham was given this, this idea that this land was going to be possessed by his descendants. So this command has been given a long time ago, and it was, comp- it was repeated, constantly repeated. And in the observable world, there's so many examples you could look at. If you leave a few remaining, you're going to have problems. <laughs> if you have termites and you don't get rid of all your termites, they're going to come back and multiply. If you um, have a, a bug and you don't finish your antibiotics, you know, you could have thousands of bugs in you. And, you know, you say, I, don't, I feel better. I don't need the last few pills. And you've got a few bugs left. They become resistant to the antibiotics, and they're going to give you a hard time because they're going to become super bugs. If you look at, I had trouble with black mold. If you don't get hold of black mold, <laughs> these are ridiculous examples, but it's the truth. It comes back. Fleas. If you don't get all the eggs, the fleas come back. Terrorism. If you don't root out all the terrorists, they come back. But, you know, and, and it, I think people over maybe generalize about saying, oh, everything in the Old Testament is a picture of sin. But it's true with sin. The, this was a picture of sin. If you don't completely get a handle on it, it's going to come back and it's going to bite you. If you have an issue with temptation to lust, it's going to get you eventually. It's going to little by little by little. Eventually, you're going to find out you're in a bad relationship, a sinful relationship. If it's um, money, you know, and you, you cheat a little here and you cheat a little there, you may, you, may, you may steal at some point in time. You know, you may do whatever and get yourself in trouble. If you don't deal with the little sins and you don't deal with it completely, it's going to come back and it's going to get you. It's just the way it is. Nevertheless, he says, um, God says they didn't complete the job that he sent them to do. To the believer, again, this possessing the land by the children of Israel to us, it's really proportionate to our relationship with God. And what I mean is that 1 Samuel 15:22 is uh, probably one of my favorite verses. You know, just one little pithy verse. And it says, God says, you know, if there's a choice between you sacrificing to me or being obedient, I would much prefer obedience over sacrifice. And that's not the only place it says it in the scripture. God always says obedience over sacrifice. You may say, well, okay, but sacrifice is good because it kind of covers for sin. But think about this. If you're obedient first, there's no reason to sacrifice, right? Now, of course, we know that we we all sin and there, you know, thank God for Jesus. He provide even the unintentional uh, sins and the sacrifice for that. But if 
if the children of Israel would just have been obedient in all ways, and again, we could look at the same thing in our lives, and I don't want to pick on them, the sacrifice would be certainly far less at, at the end of the year. But and you can see the, the fallout from them not being obedient. Verse 14. Only to the tribe of Levi he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. And Moses had given to the tribe of the children of Reuben inheritance according to their families. Their territory was from Aroer, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that is in the midst of the ravine and all the plain by Mediba. Heshbon and all the cities that are in the plain, Dibon, Bamoth, Baal, Beth, Baal, Maon, Jehaza, Kidamoth, Mephath, Kirjatham. Who named these, these places, man? Killing me. Sibma, Zareth, Shahar on the mountain of the valley, Beth Peor, the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jeshemoth. All the cities of the plain and all the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses had struck with the princes of Midian, Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, who were the princes of Sihon dwelling in the country. The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. And the border of the children of Reuben was the bank of the Jordan. This was the inheritance of the children of Reuben according to their families, the cities, and their villages. And I'm taking, again, key things from this, all right? Um, in verse 22, the prophet Balaam is mentioned. Now, some of you astute Bible students remember Balaam and the donkey. You know, the, the donkey is a dumb animal, but he was smart enough to see the angel with the drawn sword, and he didn't want to go. And Balaam was mad because the donkey kept stopping and crushing his foot, and he beat the donkey, and the donkey looks up, and God gives the donkey an utterance, and he goes, what are you hitting me for? Haven't I always served you well? And Balaam is so mad that he's actually answering the donkey. I'd be like, it's talking to my cats. If my cat started talking to me, you know? I'd be like, what the heck's going on? Am I hearing things? But Balaam is so mad, he's so driven by his madness, that he, he's actually having an argument with his donkey. So Balaam, you can, you can see him, he's covered in numbers, 20 through, 22 through 25, 22, 23, 24, 25, and 31. It's a very interesting story. Here's a situation where a guy is, he's a prophet. And this is a very odd portion of scripture because he's a prophet and God speaks to him. I mean, he had the privilege of God speaking to him, but his, the allure of money was so much more important to him than a relationship with God and obedience to God. This guy just broke all the rules. Money, obedience, deceit, trickery, Disobedience, I mean, it was all there in the story. But the, 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 song, the story goes that Balak was the king and Balak wanted Balaam to use his prophecy as a prophet to curse the children of Israel. And every time he tried to do it, God said, these are my people, you're not going to curse them. So Balak kept offering more and more money. Uh, and anyways, the story goes, uh, Balaam can't curse them because they're God's people. So the plan was, and it was a good plan, it worked. Balaam says, I know these people. We can get them another way. Get the women of Moab to seduce the men of Israel, and you can get them that way. You can destroy them from the inside instead of a direct frontal assault. Well, it worked. Uh, and in the end, it's, it's a tragic story, and in the end, Balaam eventually is killed along with the Midianites. So he, he comes to a tragic end. I mean, I don't get it. I mean, if, if you're... If you want money and you, 
you, you walk away from God, and what are you do with that money? You know, your, your enemies with God. He, he, was, he could have been a good prophet, you know? Well, anyway. The, the point there is that Satan didn't destroy the children of Israel outrightly. Uh, he used trickery. He, he worked in Balaam, and he used trickery to defeat the children of Israel through seduction and all the other kind of stuff. So, and and I, I would suspect that even in our lives, if you can see it coming, you can see it coming. The assault's coming. You know what it is. I've got to be in prayer. Can you pray for me? You've got to be in the Word, fellowship, all that stuff. And that's great. But when you don't see the stuff coming, you know, underneath, you know, tunneling underneath the, the gate and getting you, you're caught off guard. And that's usually Satan's probably best way to get us is, is uh, underhandedly. But anyway, uh, as far as the, Midian, the Midianites go, uh, Reuben ends up, the, the tribe of Reuben takes Moab, they take their land, and probably all of Midian too. And that's the land, if you're looking at the Dead Sea, to the right of the Dead Sea, and then further down to uh, the northern part of the Arab- Arabia Peninsula. Verse, verse 24. Moses also had given an inheritance to the tribe of Gad, to the children of Gad, according to their families. Their territory was Jazer and all the cities of Gilead and half the land of the Ammonites as far as Aroer, which is before Reba, and from Heshbon to Ramath, Mizpah, and Betonim, and from Manaheim to the border of Debir. And, the valley, and in the valley of Beth-Haram, Beth-Nimrah, Succoth, and Zephon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of Heshbon, with the Jordan as its border, as far as the edge of the Sea of Chenareth, on the other side of the Jordan eastward. This is the inheritance of the children of Gad, according to their families, the cities, and their village. In case I didn't make it clear, I mean, the, the study Bibles have little captions, but it basically is the inheritance. The, every, the pieces of land are being cordoned off and given to the 12 tribes of Israel, except for Levi, and we're going to talk a little bit about him and what he gets. Verse 29, Moses also gave an inheritance to half the tribe of Manasseh. It was for half the tribe of the children of Manasseh, according to their families. Their territory was from Manaheim, all Bashan, all the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jer, which are in Bashan, 60 cities. Half of Gilead and Ashtaroth and Edrei, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan, were for the children of Mekir, the son of Manasseh, for half of the children of Machir, according to their families. These are the areas which Moses had distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he had said to them. Listen, bear with me and get through these names, because the end part is probably the best part of all this, all right? So stay with me. Verse 29 to 33, which we went over, something notable in there was Og. I don't know how many of you remember Og. Og was the king of Bashan. Og was notable because he had a bed that was 13 and a half feet long. This guy was a big dude. He was one of the giants. So even Dave's bed is smaller than that. <laughs> Dave's always here when we talk about the giants. <laughs> but we can read about his defeat in Numbers 21. Levi... Levi didn't get a piece of land, but Levi had something far better than a piece of real estate. God was to be their inheritance. Their whole life was dedicated to the service of God. 
What's interesting is God didn't want the Levites to be distracted from serving him and serving the people and being that conduit from the people to God and God to the people. So he didn't give them real estate. He didn't want them to be distracted by that, by tribal issues or anything else pertaining to them getting land. And you may say, well, that's, you know, well, you may not say if you know the Bible, but people may say, well, that's, you know, they don't get a piece of land. I'll tell you what, if God said to me, he just mapped out my life for the next five years and said, you stay right here and this is what I want you to do. You don't have to cut the lawn or do this or that. I don't know, that might not be so bad, but um, you see these guys get God as their inheritance. They're devoted to his service. And that's where there's a discussion about, like, the tithe. When the tithe comes in, what's a tithe? People, people hear tithe all the time. But tithe just means a tenth. And what would happen was they would give, the children of Israel, would, everybody else would give a tenth of what they had to support the Levites so they could support the temple services and the service of God. Uh, and that carries through to the New Testament. The congregation supports the ministers and the ministers support the congregation being fed with the word of God. Uh, and you see that in Paul's writings, you see that in uh, the book of Acts, which we're going through on Sundays, and you can see the carryover from the Old Testament really into the New Testament. Now, the only problem with that is, is people who may not know the Word of God that well or understand Christianity, or maybe you're not a Christian that long, uh, they see these guys on TV with the fancy jewelry and the, the, you know, the Bentleys and you know, the big houses, the mansions, and they think, are all pastors like that? Well, that's an aberration. That's not scriptural. Um, God didn't say that the Levites were going to be rich. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's where it goes too far, and uh, that becomes a problem. It's not his original plan. But Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they were content in living outside the boundaries that God had for them. Um, and you know what's interesting about that is it seems like you saw that in, even with Lot, with Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, in the story of Lot, in Genesis, Lot is, he goes to the well-watered plains, and him and Abraham, you know, their they're flocks, their people are having issues, and they've got to split up, and Abraham's a great guy, and he says, why don't you pick whatever you want, whatever you desire? And Lot looks and says, that looks good, that's where I'm going. He takes all his, his servants and his animals, and that's where he goes. And you find little by little through Genesis, he starts at the outside, and then he ends up at the inside, and then he actually becomes part of Sodom's society. And before it's destroyed, he's got to be pulled out. He's the only, him and his family, the only one righteous ones left. But the point I'm trying to make is that um, Lot actually goes in the wrong place, but these people, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, stay on the outside in the wrong place. So whether you're inside in the wrong place or on the outside in the wrong place, the point is this. Many people, including Christians, can be very content on living on the border of God's will. God says, this is what I have for you. It may take a little work. It may take some time. It may take some maturity. It may take some hardship. But this is what I have for you. And some people are like, eh, I'll take the easy way. You know, I'll take um, an easy life for 500, Alex. You know what I'm saying? So th this is what you see in this, in this story. Now, into chapter four, uh, 14. Starting with verse 1, I'm just going to read it through. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. 
Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. I'll just kind of break it up here a little bit. Um, the numbers still work out to 12. You have 12 tribes, but Levi, since he didn't get a portion, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, apparently they were pretty big tribes, um, he splitted Joseph up into two. So where you lost one in Levi makes 11. One of the tribes, Joseph, split up into two, makes 12 again. Okay, so you got your 12. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. So now, you, remember, you have to understand, Caleb's talking to Joshua. Caleb and Joshua have a history. They go back decades. They were one of the only two in Kadesh Barnea who said, hey, yeah, there's some giants there. Yeah, they're pretty big and scary, but God is on our side. We could take these guys. They were the only two that said that we could do it because we got God. The other ten said, no way, no way. And God judged all those people. Their generation died off in the wilderness and only Joshua and Caleb survived through that generation to cross over into the promised land. Moses was a different story. He would have made it, but because of a a major impropriety in, in representing God, God said, you can't go in. So Moses couldn't go in for different reasons. But Joshua and Caleb were the only two that could go in from that generation. Okay, so he's talking to his buddy Joshua. Verse 7, he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as, if it, as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly follow the Lord, my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land which your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord, my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am to this day, 85 years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the, la the land had rest from war. So, I have to take notes here because one word specifically struck me that when I get to it, I'll talk about it. See, God always, you know, no matter, you, no matter how many times you read the scripture, right now he just gave me something. But uh, Caleb's re, Caleb is re, recounting some of the history. If you go to Numbers 13.30, you see that Caleb, that's where Caleb said, listen, they're, they're big, but it's not a problem. 
you know, God's on our side, we could take him. So he's recounting what happened. He's talking about a little history there. But check this guy out. He served the Lord his whole life. And now he's 85 years old. Okay, maybe back then they lived a little bit longer and they ate probably better than we do, but he's 85 years old, right? Um, Joshua was, again, about 100, and God says, you're old and advanced in years, and you get the impression he's not going to live much longer than that, and he doesn't. But at 85 years old, he's saying, I'm just as strong now as I was back then, and I want my inheritance. (laughs) He wanted to claim his inheritance. It's kind of cool because, another thing, it's like all these ideas are popping into my head. Abraham and Sarah were old, and, you know, they were like, there's no way we're going to have kids. We're too old, right? And and they poo-pooed it, and God gave them kids anyway. Uh, He gave them the whole nation through, uh, through Sarah. But this guy, Joshua, is saying, I'm 85, I'm old. But now I want my inheritance. He's doing the reverse of an Abraham and Sarah. He's saying, yeah, I'm old, but if God is on my side, again, I can take these people. So he's, I don't care who's in the land, I'm going to take them. And apparently he did. He even changed the name of the land, which was named after the biggest guy there, the biggest giant. And he changes it, uh, Caleb goes up there and changes it to Hebron, which means fellowship. And you could tell his whole life he had a fellowship with God. You know, he changed the name to fellowship but you could tell by, by what is, is, is listed about him that he had that relationship. Can you just picture this guy, 85 years old, Joshua, and he's obedient too. He's obedient. He's like, you know what, Joshua, you're the, lead, you're the leader. This was promised to me, but you're God's man. God anointed you. You're the leader. Do I have your permission to go up there now and take that mountain? And Joshua said, absolutely. So he, he was obedient and, um, you know, he, he was... He was a pretty good guy. And I just picture this guy at 85 years old with his sword climbing up that mountain with his sword drawn going after these guys. So it's a good picture to get in your head. You know, you hear so much about Abraham and David and all these different figures, and you also see a lot of their failures. But I think that the story of Caleb is an amazing story that's buried in the Old Testament that uh, probably we don't get to as much as we should in Joshua 14. I think Caleb puts most people to shame including a lot of the characters in the scripture. And what stands out to me, what struck me, is it kept saying holy. He wholly served God. He wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. It's pretty, that's one adjective about him that wouldn't that be great if somebody said that about us? Joe, wholly serves the Lord. Dana, wholly serves the Lord, right? Wouldn't that be something? People could say that about this all the time. And the last thing is, We could look at all the giants that that he slew, but we could also look at all the giants in our lives. Unfortunately, sometimes some of the giants are our own selves. (laughs) Could be our pride, could be our selfishness. A lot of times we get in the way of success. You know, it's that that warring with our own flesh, right? So it's funny because we, we like to say, you know, the devil made me do it, or I hear people always say, oh, it's Satan, Satan. Always talking about Satan, but... You know what? Sometimes Satan probably looks and goes, I didn't even have to do anything. You did it yourself, you know? <laughs> so, um, and I got to tell you, uh, this is true because, you know, the last two weeks, and you know, we, we've, I've talked a little bit about it on Sunday. Last two weeks, my wife and I, for some of you who don't know, my wife just got out of the hospital today for a blood infection, but we've been just kicked around back and forth for the last two weeks. You know, my son was in a bus accident, had to go to the hospital, he hit his head, my grandmother dying, just everything. 
And I got to tell you, physically, I just feel whooped. I'm just so tired. You know, my back hurts and this, that, and the other thing. But when I read the story, and even as tired as I am, and as much as I just want to do nothing right now but lay down and go to sleep and take a nap, when I believe that God has given me a mandate, when God has said to me, take that mountain, when God has said, do what I've called you to do, if I know God is telling me, be obedient, even with the last ounce of, of strength I have left, I want to serve him. And we have to analyze our own hearts because it isn't about how we feel. Because some of us don't feel good a lot. It's about what has God called us to do? We have to take ourselves outside of our physical bodies and with our spirits we have to just move on. As long as the legs move and the mouth moves and you can stand up straight and God has called you to take that mountain, you take that mountain. So if there's nothing else that we learn today, uh, I just pray that we really take a good lesson from Caleb's life. Let's pray. Of, of strength.